Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of the RPG Accounting Podcast. I am Michael, and today I have brought along a special co-host, Shane, you may know him as Mundangerous, from the Total Party Thrill Podcast. Shane, welcome back to the show. Hey Michael, thanks for having me. Super glad to be here. So for anyone who doesn't know your voice, though they should, why don't you tell everybody who you are and where you're from? Uh, yep, so I'm Shane. I am from the Total Party Thrill podcast. Uh, it's a... Any nominated podcast. Any losing podcast. Uh, focus on the positive. You were nominated. You were third uh, to fifth best podcast that year. Which means we are the same quality of podcast, I believe. Objectively so. <laughs> right. The The judging is in, and we're the same. <laughs> Identical, not winners. Exactly. Uh, yeah, so we cover um, RPGs. We uh, recap our own games and then talk about lessons that we've learned and different things like that. And then we also um, have a segment that a lot of our listeners really enjoy called the Character Creation Forge, where we actually build D&D 5th edition characters up to level 20, um, usually fitting some type of archetype or character from popular media so we do a lot of comic book characters nowadays because there are a lot of comic book characters and you've and ran I out of archetypes I, I was wondering how long it would take apparently 86 episodes is about it yeah uh, we're we're about there <laughs> i feel like we've built a few different variations of batman too we've just had to keep calling them different things <laughs> nice uh so let's get into today's show this is going to be faculty meeting 108 character growth uh, the reason that we gather for these faculty meetings is so that we can talk about our recent games and the general state of RPGs in our lives, and we hope through these conversations we can share some of the experiences we have gleaned from our many years of playing tabletop RPGs. But we understand that the opinions we share and the advice we give may not work at every table every time. But there is one piece of advice that we do feel is pretty universal. And Shane, what is that one piece of advice? If you're having fun, you're doing it right. And that was unprompted. Did I get that right? Yeah, you didn't. I didn't have to tell you what to say. You know it because it's right. so much perfect. I got one for one on this test. <laughs> Sadly, that's still failing. But the, the Michael matrix is a little bit weird. Oh, well, that's uh, all right. <laughs> but that is correct, sir. So no matter what game you play, the system or edition, what rules you use, don't use, or misuse, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. So with all that out of the way, do we have any announcements this morning? Jane, do you have anything you would like to announce? I will clarify, I have no idea when this episode is going to come out. Probably not till late March, or excuse me, probably not till like late April, maybe even May. Who knows? Well, I know you're going to need a segue, so I will announce that I will be at a Catacon 2017. <laughs> yeah, so again, not sure when this episode will come out. It's very possible that the Kickstarter for Catacon 2017 is already over. But if it's not, oh. jump in and you can get your badge there. And even if it is over, you can still buy badges through Eventbrite. Uh, and then you can buy them at the door as well, but they're more expensive, so get them through the Kickstarter. Michael, this is probably really important for listeners, and especially for me. When is a Catacon 2017? Good question. So even though the Kickstarter may already be over, the actual event is in November, November 10th, 11th, and 12th in Dayton, Ohio at the Dayton Convention Center. Perfect. And, uh, and to whom do I send my receipts for reimbursement? That would be Caleb at therpgacademy.com uh, because he never checks that email. Crap. <laughs> Awesome. Do you have any other announcements? Anything you would like to cover with things that are going on with you or the show or just life in general? Uh, yeah, I got married recently, so go me. Congratulations to you. Condolences to your wife. Yeah, I know. She's really... I, I tricked a good one. <laughs> you married up, huh? I did, yeah. I'll kick my coverage. <laughs> 
Awesome. Uh, so just last announcements. Uh, by this point, again, it's, it may be a couple months past, but uh, we are starting to utilize our Twitch channel a little bit more. We have uh, every Monday night at 8 o'clock, we have a show called Lawful and Orderly. That is uh, headed up by Scott. You may know him as uh, G-O-W-T-F on Twitter. And it's a D&D procedural criminal drama type show. Sort of sort of lighthearted, even though they're dealing with murders. I don't know how they managed to do that. But it's episodic, so you can jump in at any time. You don't have to listen to all of them. But you can catch up with old episodes on our YouTube page. Uh, and now we're going to start doing detention episodes live on Wednesday nights at 9 o'clock. There will still be audio versions of that as well. But uh, we're hoping that uh, people come check it out, hang out with us live when we do that. Is, uh, is Caleb still mispronouncing Academaniacs? Because then that really is punishment. It, it is, actually. He he continues. He does it on purpose. He, he knows that the correct pronunciation is Academaniacs because clearly it is based off of a, a Animaniacs cartoon. Exactly. But I think he just does it because he knows it gets under my skin. But tricks on him because he's not on the live shows anymore, so he can't mispronounce it anymore. Oh, perfect. Then it's not even punishment to go to detention. Correct. Because you're going to hear it in my terrible voice, but it will be pronounced as best I can. It won't have the hard D in it anymore. Nice. So, before we get into our topics officially, uh, let's let people know how they can get a hold of us, in case anybody would like to. You can find me on Twitter at the RPG Academy, and if you want to tell Caleb how to pronounce Academaniacs correctly, you can get a hold of him at the Caleb G. If you want to email us, you can email us, michael at the RPGacademy.com. Caleb at the RPGacademy.com, though he doesn't ever check it, so don't do that. Or you can email both of us at podcast at the RPGacademy.com. And Shane, where can people get a hold of you or your show? The easiest way to find me is on Twitter, at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And if you want to send me hate tweets, send those to at Evil Sans Carne. That's Malice Minus Meat. Uh, and you can find the show at, to- what is it? Uh, <laughs> at TPT Cast. That's not my line. I don't, I don't have the pattern for that. <laughs> awesome. Okay, so let's get into the show officially today. We're going we're gonna to start with a gamer's lexicon, and we're going to start with the spell Enlarge. So we're talking about the D&D 5e version of Enlarge, and Shane, will you cover how that works? Yeah, so uh, Enlarge uh, used to be its own spell. It is now part of the Enlarge-Reduce spell in 5th edition. It's a second-level transmutation. It takes an action to cast with a range of 30 feet and uh, requires concentration up to a minute. And basically what it does with Enlarge, since that's what we're focused on, is the target size doubles in all dimensions, multiplies its weight by eight, and if it's a creature, it gets some neat properties. So it increases the size category, so from medium to large, or large to huge, or whatever. And then its weapons also increase accordingly, and then deal an extra 1d4 damage on a hit. And basically the inverse of that happens for the reduce effect. Now, have you ever had any cause to use the spell any humorous anecdotes you can share about playing in a game where this was used in some way so the the spell actually specifies that you increase up to double your size um, if you're in a space that can't accommodate those dimensions you just fill the space so i always like I, I feel like it's a fun joke spell when someone's like creeping through a narrow passage or whatever you're like oh now you're stuck <laughs> it's like uh, the puff fish and like finding nemo yeah exactly exactly like that uh, but no, I mean, I think mostly we, we used to use it just to like, um, you know, in like third edition, you used to gain benefits for changing size, like actual mechanical benefits. And then weapons, as they increase size, had extra damage dice as well. So there were lots of benefits. In fifth edition, I think we've probably used it once or twice for that. But otherwise, it's just like, I don't know, maybe hide something in your pocket. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe make something big and obvious to hide behind something like that. 
Yeah, I haven't really had a, a chance to use it in 5th edition as a player or as a GM, but I have quite a lot of experience, 2nd edition, 3.5 versions. And all I remember is that we would always try to cast this on ourselves and then have someone else cast permanency so that we would try to have like an entire party of half-giants because you got all the mechanical benefits. If you got bigger, you did more damage, you were stronger, all that kind of stuff. And, and I don't again, just just a way of trying to break the game. And, you know, back in my yep. days when I was a min-maxer, those dirty, dirty min-maxers, uh, I just thought it would be fun to be a half-giant do more damage. Yeah, I mean, that's the, the... When you don't have permanence, a lot of these fun joke spells stop being so fun, <laughs> but they still work as jokes. <laughs> yeah. So can you think of any way that you could use it Again, I'm putting you on the spot here because I didn't. You didn't know about this ahead of time. But as a DM or as a player, something you could do with it to make a scene awesome or or make like a scene interesting, other than putting someone in a space they don't fit for. Okay. Well, if you took away the first example I gave you, <laughs> I got to come out with two hits. Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> Sophomore slump here. No, uh, I like the idea of an an enemy who's using enlarge to to make his minions seem more intimidating than they are especially with the sorcerer with twin spell you could enlarge two allies in that way um so like i mean that could make what would normally be a rather uninspired encounter right you could just kind of quickly ramp up the difficulty in the middle of the fight and as a dm you could even kind of hedge it a little bit and bump their stats uh in a few more ways you know symbolizing the enlargement that's probably how i would use it as a dm anyway the the things I was thinking of is similar to your example about like an intimidation is that you could have someone that enlarges like a, a, a goblin or some other creature, not in a combat situation, but but to try to, again, make it seem like they're more powerful than they really are, which could turn out to be a humorous situation if the spell ends or, you know, it's almost like the Wizard of Oz thing. Like someone notices that there's a guy in the corner who seems to be concentrating. Uh, he's not blinking like Snape and Harry Potter. And so they, you know, yeah. throw fire on his cloak and then you know this big brute in the in the bar who's pushing everyone around it's like the reverse incredible hulk and he just sort of shrinks down into a little wimpy guy i think that could be funny yeah actually in the DD starter uh set there's that scene in the first goblin cave where there's potential to have one of the goblins betray the leader and i feel like that would be a cool non-combat way of resolving that is like i mean granted you're first level so you can't cast the spell but whatever but, but the situation <laughs> scroll, scroll of enlarge yeah right yeah right where, where you've got that kind of thing where you're like okay we're gonna back our horse here by making him really really big and intimidating in a setting where that is valuable so yeah i think that's a cool idea and then uh, from a utilitarian standpoint if you have a, a like a beast of burden a horse a camel uh, or even a druid that can shape change and then make them bigger so they can carry the entire party or maybe you're trying to evacuate a village because of a flood or natural disaster it could be just like a cool use of a spell to help get people away in a non-combat situation oh actually another thing uh just thinking about that so we've been playing a lot of dark sun recently in fifth edition which means you spend a lot of time in the desert and you got to worry about water but large creatures and and as sizes of creatures increase their water demands increase according to the dmg so that would be a real dickish way (laughs) it's like oh yeah i'm gonna make you huge now you need more water have fun dying in the desert. <laughs> that reminds me of this old, uh, it's a cartoon. It's in probably in a dungeon magazine or something. I don't even remember where I saw it. But it's on this on the edge of a vast desert. And the in the foreground, there's a sign that says, no water next 1,000 miles. And it shows mm-hmm. uh, a character pouring out their water going, that, what a strange rule. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So we've covered Gamers Lexicon. We're going to move into our general assembly. 
And today's General Assembly topic is character growth. <laughs> Get it? Get it? See what we did there? They, they... Okay. Um, so often, when, uh, when I see new players come to the game, they're making their D&D characters, they have an idea in mind for what they want that character to be, but it's usually a, a static situation. Like, they don't think of how is this character going to grow and change over time. They basically make a badass character, and other than leveling up and getting more powerful, they don't really have any forethought to, well, at first level, they're this way, and at eighth, eighth level, they're going to be this way because they're going to change. Now, some of it, because it's a D&D game and not a novel, you can't script that because you don't know what's going to happen in the game. You know, maybe your character goes into a cave and bad things happen, so you decide that now they're claustrophobic or they, or they develop something like that. So that's a way your character could change based on the narrative, where if you were just sitting down to write a novel, you may not know all that details. Uh, I kind of think of it like almost like the superhero syndrome. You know, Superman is Superman. He's always going to be Superman. And other than like a red kryptonite, blue kryptonite situation, he's always Superman. But in a D&D game, I like for my characters to have a, sort of an arc and a, and a growth to them. And, and, and you're, excuse me. And in your show, you guys recently talked about character arcs. And that's kind of where this came from. It was similar in, in scope, not exactly the what you guys covered. But when you make a character, do you think about this? When you're a DM, do you encourage this at your table? Like, what are your thoughts on character growth in a, like a D&D game? Yeah, so for me, I think it totally depends on what kind of game we're playing. Right. If it's a one shot, my my thoughts for character growth are probably pretty limited. If it's going to be a longer term campaign, you know, maybe eight sessions, then I'll I'll think of a pretty finite character growth. And if it's a if it's a long term campaign, like um, the the Eberron campaign, for example, that we played, that we've talked about a lot on our show, you know, I I didn't know what my arc was in that game because I knew there was a long road ahead of me and and things were going to affect me i just knew i was going to change at some point at the end you actually changed class or races and bodies at one point uh, uh yeah actually and and that was like just some weirdness because we were playing the playtest rules and then the actual game got released for fifth edition right. so I, I was like uh yeah i don't really want to be a cleric anymore but um <laughs> but all like we worked it into the story right and it was this whole crisis of faith uh as i you know felt i felt like another god had chosen me <laughs> and uh you know so that was a yeah that, that was a, a nightmare for an inquisitor of the silver flame and then any and eventually came back to my faith in the silver flame uh and then killed my own god so you know there's just crises abound as you do yeah i you know when when given the opportunity you do it you know <laughs> absolutely so so yeah, and then you know, I think in shorter campaigns, right? I, I like to I like characters that have a flaw to overcome, um, and then I like to also kind of identify flaws in my characters as we start playing, right? Because because you screw something up or you you blow a persuasion check or you you make a mistake in a tactical decision that costs something of another player, and and then you deal with those impacts, right? And so um, I don't want to set all of my flaws up front and just fix them, but I also want to be open to you know, the, the fall from grace, right? Like the, the broken paladin um, or the fighter who ascends to a paladin, like those kind of idealism too. Yeah, I think when I, when I come to the table with like a one shot as a player, I, I kind of feel like I'm probably going to create that character with this being the end of their character growth. Uh, you know, again, I'm the fallen paladin when we start. And maybe in that one shot, I find redemption. I find a way to sacrifice myself so I, I'm redeemed or something similar to that. But if you're playing a long-term campaign, then you have an opportunity to actually see and flesh out that development over, over a period of time. 
And I just I think it's an opportunity that I, I would like to do more of in my games, and I would like to see other people do more of as well. But I think you kind of hit the nail on the head that you kind of just have to pay attention to the narrative and then react to it based off of what happened. So, you know, your character went through a change physically, literally, because of the campaign, but you guys made it part of the narrative. It wasn't just a, okay, you've always been this. You In the story, you physically changed, and everyone knew that you changed, and, and it, it became part of the character aspect. So sort of paying attention to the themes of a game. You know, is this a theme of abandonment? Is this a theme of hope? Is this a theme of uh, whatever? How would that affect your character? Yep, yep. And actually another example from from that game, uh, at one point I lost my hand. Uh, I got my hand cut off when I got critted. And, um, y- you know, it was, I, it was devastating um, for me as a player because I was like, oh my God, like, I, my whole character is cool because of the things he does with both hands, <laughs> you know, like, what am I going to do? Um, and, and so like, I'm looking at my sheet or whatever. And so we had a, a, a devil, a book imp that was um, traveling around with us who was bound to a chalice. And so I got him out and I, and he's always offering to make deals, right? If you would drink, drink from his chalice, he would offer you deals. And I was like, I want to make a deal. I, I want a hand, like become my hand. And and so it was like, whoa, our our lawful good, neutral good, you know, inquisitor is now cavorting with devils and fiends and what's going on here, you know? So it was like, but it was a, it was, you know, that character psyche was so wrapped up in being who he was, right, and being effective and being able to combat threats head on, um, that he had to make he had to make something happen, and he wasn't going to wait around for you know, six sessions for our, our DM to build a way for me to return my hand. I wasn't going to wait for seventh level spells to get regeneration. I was going to do something now. And so, yeah, I made a deal with the devil that definitely didn't come back to bite me at all. <laughs> of course, no, of course not. Cause nothing ever goes right. wrong when you make a deal with the devil. That's just no, no. science. Nope. Signed a contract <laughs> and everything. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So I think again, fr- from the player aspect, if I'm going into H- a game, Hedma- Oh, go ahead. Sorry. The, I, you, Roboted out, and I didn't know you were still talking. Oh, sorry. No, I was just going to make a joke that I, I even had my fantasy attorney read it, who who's an actual <laughs> attorney. <laughs> nice. And then he pointed out one issue with it, and then that was what the GM used. That's what Ishan did. Ah. So do you think he <laughs> knew that ahead of time, or was the person reading it gave him the idea? Uh... I can never tell with Ishan. He plays his cards close to the vest, but I think he had it ahead of time. I think I think he put that clause in there knowing that he, what he was going to be doing. Nice. So Awesome. Okay, so what I was uh, saying there is that as, as a player coming to the table, I just want to have the ability to, I want to be open to the narrative and, and make changes that make sense. And when I say make sense, that means within the, the, the world. Because sometimes in novels and movies, people do things that don't seem logical but they make sense for the character and we're playing a heightened version of reality i mean whether it's a a modern d20 game or you know sci-fi or spies or superheroes or whatever it's still kind of a heightened reality so it's okay for your character to have what seems like dramatic turns uh based off of one or two incidents like you know in real life psychosis happens over a long period of time it's not gilligan's where you get hit in the head and now you you know, you can only lie and you get hit in the head again and now you can only tell the truth type of thing. Though I've done that and it's fun. It doesn't work that way? <laughs> it does not work that way in real life that, I, that I'm aware of. Uh, but I think that's fine in a game like D&D, a role-playing game, to, to have those very dramatic turns if they add to the campaign and they, they make things more interesting. 
Um, so as a DM, well, I'll take a step back here. Okay, no, I'll, I'll go that. So as a DM, how would you encourage this sort of behavior at your table? Uh, talk about it. Uh, I think that's the the number one rule of DMing, right, is talk to your players. Um, encourage them to come up with flaws for themselves and then ask them if those are the types of things that they want to see their character address or if they're the type of thing that they want to hold core to the character to the end, right? And and you don't have to foreshadow how that's going to happen. You don't have to step on the player's toes and railroad them in that direction. You just have to understand what are the types of questions that they need to be asked so that they have a chance to answer them as characters. And um, there are some games, like Savage Worlds comes to mind, where when you build a character, you have the ability to, to buy a flaw or to take a flaw, and it actually gives you additional points to do other things with so it becomes a mechanical advantage and i think as a dm i want my players to know that i'm okay with them buying off that flaw if it makes sense in the narrative even if it even if it doesn't work the correct way like i'm not going to remove their the points they got the bonuses or say they have to pick up another flaw if they pick a flaw and it's really interesting and they're not just trying to min max but they're just trying to make an interesting character and something happens that might put them in a crisis of conscience where they're like you know, I can't keep believing what I've always believed because the evidence is in front of me. I'm going to be totally okay if they no longer have that flaw, even though they got five extra points at the beginning of the game. Yeah, that's one of the things about merit and flaw systems in RPGs that I kind of don't like, is that they lock you into something on your sheet that should change, right? I mean, that's sort of the hero's journey as well, is overcoming your flaws, right? And so if you're always taking that minus two penalty to whatever because you're you know you have a minus two to constitution because you're infirm or whatever right it's like all right i guess that's inherent but also like it's just a die roll right so i I like to to think of character traits beyond just a a mechanical merit and a flaw but also just kind of your acting cues as a player of you know how how do i as a character respond to these situations right is my first instinct to run is my first instinct to talk is it to fight you know like that probably isn't going to be represented on your character sheet. But it should be represented in the long-term narrative of your game, right? You were there, so you fought. Right, and maybe you didn't want to, but you were forced to, and it worked really well, you know? So maybe it starts to slowly creep that, you know, maybe diplomacy sometimes comes at the point of a sword. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, maybe persuasion turns to intimidation, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, what is it, Was it from the, the Star Wars line, uh, Forceful Negotiations? Right. <laughs> uh, and, you know, to, to bring it back to Rot Iron for a second, I don't know if you're listening to that or not, but I play Army in that game, and she's very naive. Like, that was the first concept that she was raised by a temple. She wholeheartedly believes everything the temple has ever told her. The temple is right and righteous in all things. I know as a player that the temple's done some things it's not supposed to do, and it's actively doing bad things, but Army doesn't. But I knew going in, eventually I would f- find that out. And so over time, I want Army to become less naive. So, you know, early on, I've done some things that hopefully were silly and funny and maybe dramatic because I wholeheartedly believe things. And I want it to be a moment that when she finally realizes, you know, I have, I have followed this path my entire life and it was all a lie. I want that moment. That's, what I, that's the entire thing I'm building towards is that moment with that character. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see whether at that moment you decide that she sees the world for what it is and then tries to change it, right? Um, Tries to fix the temple 
or whether she doubles down and says, no, my faith is more important to me. And, and she almost like falls from grace, right? Because now she's, she sees the world for what it is, but she still clings to the rock of her life, which is the temple. And again, I, I don't know that it's given anything away, but in my head, what I see for her is that uh, the Simpsons cartoon, again, there's a million episodes. But it, Oh, yeah, I've seen that episode. They did it first, right? Yeah, of course they did. But the one where Homer had a, they found out Homer had a crayon up his nose. It was poking his brain. Oh. And they, they removed it. <laughs> and then he became smarter. Right. But then he realized how awful the world was. So he put it back because he was happier. Right. And I, and that that's like, I'm, I'm thinking that might be what happens with Army. I don't know for sure because we haven't got there yet. But there's a part of me that, that I, f- I think is interesting. And I know we're getting a little bit off topic here. But it also goes back to the movie Memento. So spoiler alerts if you haven't watched a movie that's like 25 years old. Yeah, wow. Really stretching my limits here. But I loved the way Memento ends, or in some cases begins, because the character is self-deceptive because he's happier not knowing the truth. And I, that stuck with me. I mean, for, again, for obviously it's been like 20 years or something. I still remember that scene very clearly because I love that moment where he's like, I need this in my life, so I'm going to forget what happened so that I can continue to have this in my life. I just think that's an amazing moment, and it's something that, I'm, again, I may end up doing with ARMY if, if it fits. Uh, but I think that's important, right, is that you you haven't made up a decision in terms of what will happen, right? You're, you're not trying to guide your character to a certain place. You're trying to guide your character to a certain revelation. And, and you don't know how, how you'll react to that yet. Right. And I think that's, that's the right way to play it, right? Because you don't want to, in some ways, railroad your own character, <laughs> right. right? Like you, you want to play genuine to your character and, and, and in the moment and actually enjoy it rather than just kind of following down a path that you've set for yourself over the past year or two. Right. And, and this is a pretty easy example because naivety is, um, is kind of a common thing. We, we all know what that is, where I knew that she's going to have to learn at some point. You know, it, it wasn't like my, my growth was going to be to, you know, reconcile with my father because I don't know if my father's going to be part of the game or not, you know, or, or reconcile with, with some another member of my family or whatever the case may be. But I knew she was naive and I knew we were going to go on an adventure. So I just, it's almost, it's kind of like the, the Frodo and Bilbo thing. Can you go back to the Shire after you've experienced those adventures and look at things the same way. So I, so I don't think that's given anything away. I knew she was eventually going to be confronted with the realities of the world, and it was going to change her. But I don't know yet how. But I have some examples from media that I kind of am like, well, that could go that way or I could go that way. But it will depend on how I get to that point eventually that will inform it. And in the moment, I may make a decision, you know, at the exact moment when it happens, that I, is none of the examples I've thought of ahead of time because I'm open to the narrative informing my choices. Yeah, yeah. And I was just going to say, you kind of mentioned it, like talking to your players. Also, I think that is something you do between sessions and and asking people, like if as the DM, if you see there's a moment, like if you know Sarah's character um, has something with a father figure or an authority figure, and you put that theme into the game, because as a good DM, you should. If you know that in her background, she put the fact that she has a father figure, authority issue, whatever, then you need to put those themes into the game. Once that happens, don't be afraid to say, Sarah, how do you think Uthgar feels right now? Like you just saw whatever happened. You just had to murder the mayor of the town who was your father figure and in, in de facto replacement of your actual father. 
what is Uthgar feeling right now? And I, I think it's okay to pointedly ask questions like that to get the players to think like, wow, you know, maybe this would be a changing moment. Yeah, I mean, you can do that at the table too if you want it shared with everybody. But I, I think some of those kind of foundational moments, you you almost need time to process that as a player too, right? Like I, I don't always know how I feel about my character the moment I make a decision. And, and then like I go to sleep and I wake up the next morning and I'm like, man, like I can't believe I did that last night. <laughs> you know, like, I can't believe this made-up fictional thing that I've created in my head did that. That's weird. <laughs> how, how do I feel about that? How does, how does my character feel about that, you know? How do I feel about how I feel about my character feeling about that? Right? Yeah. Oh, man, I'm so meta right now. <laughs> just going to go take a shower and go to work. <laughs> so, I, so I interrupted you. You were going to change subjects here. What, what were you going to bring up? Well, I was going to say another another common or, or easy to implement character arc is, uh, and especially just the way that a lot of players are uh, when they first bring characters to the table, is a lot of, a lot of archetypes are kind of loners, right? You have a lot of individual characters that don't always have a great reason to be in a group together. It's kind of that old, oh, we meet in a tavern, right, trope. Mm -hmm. Um, A a great initial kind of little bit of character development, right, is after you go on that first adventure, you've, you know, slayed some goblins or killed some orcs or saved some uh, children or whatever it is. Now you've kind of got some camaraderie here, right? You have a group. Um, and, and so just going from, I am an individual, you know, I'm the thief, right? I steal from people to make ends meet. I'm going on this adventure and it's like, oh, wait, now there's like three people in the world that I won't steal from. That means something to me, right? Like, <laughs> and they're the people you're around most, so you can't even right. target them. Exactly. So it's like, it's like, all right, well now I'm, I'm no longer just, you know, the thief. I'm now the thief who's part of this group. And this group is important to me too. And and even that level of character growth one is super helpful for a GM because now you know your group isn't backstabbing each other and falling apart right. and they have a reason to continue on their adventures. But then also for a character, it's like your first steps into growing as an individual character. And you know, we've given the advice on this show multiple times about not creating the Wolverine character, that that alpha loner who has no reason to go with the party because it's a cooperative game and I want everyone working together. But if you are going to do that, then I think it should be with the idea that there will be change. Like, you you know going in that, yeah, I'm the alpha loner now, but I will come to, to you know, appreciate the, the other characters and become a valuable member of the party, whether that takes one session or three or four, you know, it can't take forever. But I think it's okay if, it, if you know going in that there's going to be a change. And, and this is a little bit off, off topic, but I, w- I wanted to touch on it here, that if you are the type of character that will do that, for me it's more interesting for you to come up for a way that you will go with the party rather than you know, digging your heels in the ground saying no. Uh, you know, I've, I've seen examples where someone's like, I'm a ranger, so I will not go into a city. Right. Or, or I'm the druid, I won't leave my grove. Yeah, yeah exactly. Great. <laughs> well, then you don't get to play. That's just the right. way it works. So I think it would be a lot more fun for the ranger to just be constantly making like sarcastic comments about how bad it smells here and, you right. know, the diseases that everyone gets. So it's not like you don't go in the city. You're just a a-hole the whole time you're there. And, right. and everyone's happy to leave the city now because you go back to being yourself. That's a lot more interesting than saying, I'm just going to stay out here. Uh, I'll camp out. You guys come find me at fifth level because I'm not going in the city for the next three sessions. 
Yeah, or, you know, I mean, talking about growth, right? Uh, the ranger who's never been in the city spends his next five levels in the city and starts to recognize, like, the, the concrete jungle, right? Like, yeah. understanding that people are like animals in their own way and that, that like, the, the way a city operates is also an ecosystem and, and figuring out how that works for the benefit of their ideals as well. Yeah, I think that could be a very interesting moment where the, you know, the country bumpkin, for lack of a better metaphor, has some sort of wisdom, you know, that they can look at someone and, you know, like the the guy who's like the bumbling shopkeeper and the ranger's like, oh, no, that guy is like an assassin or he's a thieves guild because that's a that's an act. I can see right Right. through that because he's (laughs) a predator. Exactly. And they'd be like, that's that's a cool moment that you use what you know from the jungle, but you make it fit to the story. That's an awesome moment that you won't have if you never go in the city. Exactly. Yep. Cool. All right. So any last thoughts on character growth or any ways that you would want to see it happen or just examples of of other examples that it's happened in your games? Let me think. Okay. While you're thinking, um, going back to my fourth edition days, as brief as they were, uh, one of the things that they kind of encourage is that you would have like wish lists for magic items. And I don't like those, but I would use them for also having like actual goals like i would have the character or the players make a short term like a midterm and a long term goal that they would give me on the cards instead of their magic item so that i that i knew what their goals were in some cases the goals was or the goals were you know i want a plus one weapon you know it's more of a mechanical feature but sometimes the goals were you know i want to find out who killed my father okay mm-hmm. that's fine but what happens when you learn that that there's right. still a chance for character growth tied to these goals they don't have to go together but they can yeah and and also the question of what are you willing to pay you know what will you sacrifice to achieve that goal right what who are you willing to betray to find out that information about your father or or whatever it is Uh, or going back to um indiana jones and the the third one the whole search for the holy grail that one there's the moment where indy has the holy grail in his hands but he lets it fall away because he has to save his father now, he had to use the grill first, but that's beside the point. But, yeah. <laughs> but there's, there's a thing. His life goal was to find that, you know, find the grail. But in the moment, it was a choice between the grail and something else, and he chose something else. That's yep. an interesting moment. Yeah, it, it makes him a, a much more complicated character, right? Especially given his relationship with his father. Yep. Spoiler. Sean, Sean uh, yeah, it's, God bless. We're just spoiling everything today. <laughs> awesome. Wait, you mean Sean Connery was in Indiana Jones? <laughs> uh, I don't think so. I don't. Uh, no, 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 no. Well, that's a yeah, spoiler alert. <laughs> awesome. All right. So, so go ahead. So the other thing that I think we should touch on just real quick is the mechanical impact of character growth. Okay. Because right? I think a lot of people, especially in this is class-based systems, especially think of multi-classing is how you grow your character in new directions right so i was a thief or i was a rogue and now i've taken a level of ranger that makes me more outdoorsy right which which is fine that's one way of looking at your character but also think of it from the other way of kind of um my character is grown more in tune with with nature my character is kind of um adopted this order that you know values these things i've learned their skills I'm now a ranger to reflect that, um, you know, kind of think of the character as a whole and then, and then what classes, um, and what abilities kind of fill out that character versus, you know, rogues are rogues. And then we become ranger one. And then we go back to rogues because after I got in tune with nature, I decided to steal stuff, you know, <laughs> right. like, 
Like, like it doesn't always have to be just a reflection of I did X, so I take class at, yeah. class Y, right? Again, they can be subtle changes. As a DM, I'm very lenient. I know not everyone is and not everyone should be. But I would be okay, you know, like if you're four levels in and you're playing a rogue and there's a skill that you've just never used and you want to say, like, can I change that for, like, nature lore? Sure, yeah. So, you know, <laughs> I don't care. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. So, you know, I'm okay with doing things like that if they fit the narrative. Some DMs are not going to be, but there are still ways within the mechanics and the narrative of the story to reflect that growth, whether it's multi-classing, picking up a feat, switching out, you know, mechanics, uh, again, w- within the rules or without. But yeah, I, I think it, because it, it makes sense in a way that if, I, if I'm saying I'm more like a ranger now, then I need to be able to do rangery things. And if there's no way in the mechanics for me to do that, then it's kind of a hollow point. Yeah. And, and ranger is maybe a weird example, but like right. uh, Barbarian has a really iconic ability at level one, rage. Right. And so if, if your character is increasingly like agitating for fights and, and is the first one through the door whenever there's the risk of combat and, and, you know, takes on that sort of blustering kind of personality, well, then it, rage would fit mechanically, even though you weren't raised in a tribal setting and you aren't, you know, a, a, a the PHB's kind of noble savage archetype, right? Like maybe it is just that level of like rush to combat and you're better when you're feeling that way take a level of barbarian and don't call it barbarian <laughs> you know right. like like no one will mind you just you rage now it's great <laughs> like, right and well and, you know again and you guys have talked about this in your show a lot but you can reflavor anything like like you can say you're a barbarian that rages but it could just be more like a almost like a zen like focus yeah i i love that you don't have to be like ah because you do more damage it could just be bullet time and the, exactly. the world slows down and so you can pers- precisely strike where you want and that's what gives you the extra damage so you can still make it work within the narrative but stick to the mechanics or just make up stuff like i do yeah i mean whatever <laughs> yeah whatever it's just a game yeah <laughs> awesome so the, the, the fun police will be by to assess you uh for your violations uh so that's uh, that's our conversation on character growth as always we'll throw it out to the audience share with us your examples of times your characters have grown things that you do to encourage character growth, some examples or anecdotes from your own games. We'd love to hear them. Uh, Please tweet at us, email us, or leave them in the comments for this episode. Uh, But we're not done yet. We still have another segment we're going to do tonight, uh, Cryptozoology. This is where we take a monster from the Monster Manual, and we talk about it. And fitting the theme of enlarge and character growth, we decided to do a big freaking monster. So Shane, what is our giant freaking monster for tonight? It is The Rock, and not Dwayne The Rock Johnson. I love that guy. He's a giant monster himself. <laughs> he, he is. But that smile, it's a million dollar smile. Time's sexiest man of the year. I, I can buy it. People, people's sexiest. Time probably doesn't have a sexiest <laughs> man of the year. <laughs> it's the people's sexiest man of all time. I think I think they need a crossover. That's it. No, I, yeah, that works. Yep. <laughs> awesome. So for anyone who's not familiar, what is the rock in regards to Dungeons & Dragons? So rocks are gigantic birds. Uh, and I think that their origin story is something related to giants fighting dragons, but they're basically big birds that reside in the mountains. They're like 200 foot wingspan. So they're gargantuan. Um, right. So it's not just like the, the eagles that Gandalf rode on in Lord of the Rings. Like it's like five times larger than those. 
Yeah, like they definitely could have dropped the ring in the in the volcano just fine. <laughs> yeah. But they're they're kind of solitary creatures who live up in the mountains uh and they, you know, they eat really really large prey, so they like, you know, will snatch an elephant or something like that or the occasional adventurer and then take them back and eat them. Uh and then occasionally it says that some of like the the larger and smarter giants, the like storm giants or uh, cloud giants will domesticate them and sort of keep them as pets. But they're like CR-11, so they're a solid mid-level monster. All right. So for me, my first thought is I see this as more of a story element than a combat element. Like, I could see even at a low level, the characters go into a, to a place where everyone's terrified because this giant rock lives in a, you know in an eerie nearby. It's like that whiskey commercial. You know, it flies through the village every so often, just grabs someone off the street or grabs, a, again, a cow from the fields. It's similar to like how dragons are, are portrayed a lot of times. And the characters are tasked with fixing it and, you know, going up and stabbing it with swords is an option. But there's other ways that you could deal with that or maybe even treating it like an environmental challenge. Like I, I can see the characters being captured by the rock in the, so it's in its claws or maybe they're riding it and they have to move around it while it's flying without falling to their death. And that's. Uh, a skill challenge rather than a combat. Have you ever, because I don't think I've ever actually used a rock in any of my games. Have you used one? I don't think I have. And and if I did, especially in 5th edition, I would use it as a combat encounter. And I think it's got two ways that could kind of make it cool is if you wanted to have a flying combat encounter, sort of like like a dogfight, you know, like maybe give the players like fly spells or like a flying broom, something like that, so they can actually engage it in the air. Mm-hmm. Or if they're on the ground, I, I feel like it's just going to kind of do that hit and run move where, and with its talons, it actually can grapple a target. And then I feel like it just takes off in the air and drops them. Yeah. Right. Or, or like, it grabs an elephant and drops that on you. Or drops things on you. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, I love the idea of like the, the dive bombing rock, right? Because <laughs> they're, I mean, they're not smart creatures. <laughs> like they're, they're intelligence three. So they're not. They're birds. They're, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're birds, right? But they also understand their strength and probably can prioritize danger. So That does make me think of someone using Wall of Force to make it look like a big sliding door and it just flies into it. That would be really funny. I Yeah. I'd be like the uh, with the Minnesota new stadium where the Vikings play. Yep. They keep killing birds. <laughs> Great. Which, which isn't funny, but I mean, it is in a way. So the other thing I thought of actually, I, I thought would be. I, I mean, yeah. Right. It's not truly funny, but it is somewhat funny. I mean, it's not funny, but we're laughing. Because <laughs> we're terrible people. Because they're not our birds. That's right. They're other people's birds, so it's uh, totally okay. Right. Um, but I like the idea of maybe that uh, almost like the rocks are are secondary to what's happening. So, like, you're fighting someone, but the rocks are just, like, flying from point A to point B, and you're on them. So it's almost like think of like the, the, the you know horse or cattle example you've seen in movies where people are jumping from back to back of horses as they're stampeding. You're having to jump from rock to rock as it's flying, but they're just there. They're like the environment. They're not actually part of the challenge other than if you fall, you die. Yeah, that'd be a really cool way to approach like um, a storm giant castle, you know, in the clouds. Like you, you find its pet rock and you hitch a ride, right? And now you're like the infiltrator and, you know, rocks are so big that they probably wouldn't feel a few pesky, you know, <laughs> adventurers yeah, hitching mean, a ride on their you're back. you a little more than like fleas, you know, a little more than that, uh, yeah. the size of the rock. But still, yeah, it, it could carry you without no, noticing that you're there. 
Yeah, exactly. You could easily lasso its talon and just hitch a ride. I know um, the nerd the nerd poker podcast after Sark left and uh, Blaine started running for a while. That was one of the first thing that happened. The the characters were in like a caravan wagon. And they got picked up by a rock, and that was just part of the story. And they got flown like hundreds of miles, and then dropped. And they, you know, they were able to get away because it was just like maybe baby birds in a nest. But that that was the story thing that you're now you don't know where you're at. Like you're just really far away. That was how the rock was used in in that game. Yeah, which again is more how probably I would use it rather than something you have to stab. Uh, it could also be a cool kind of story element if they if if a rock had unknowingly, for example, like picked somebody up and taken somebody who had like maybe a powerful artifact right so the the person who had i can't believe i'm gonna say this like the eye of vecna <laughs> like just happened to get eaten by a rock right? right and now like the eye of vecna is just chilling up in some mountain somewhere not minding anybody's business uh or uh, not bothering anybody minding its own business but it's just sitting in its nest and you know maybe some intrepid adventurers are trying to get up there to get it down before or someone else gets it or stop someone who's on its way on their way. Right. You know? um, I also kind of like the idea. I mean, again, we're dealing with a fictional world that maybe the rocks have this really weird migration pattern that lasts generations. Oh. And so you have the settlement. They, you know, they build a village on the top of a mountain, and seven years later, thirty-seven rocks show up because that's where they live. You know, for the next ten years or something. Again, depending on how you want to settle, you know, how you want to handle that. But that could that could be an interesting moment where you're everything's fine and then the skies are just darkened with the flaps of these, you know, there's like not one rock. There's like dozens of them. It's like the birds, except uh somehow more <laughs> terrifying. <laughs> except bigger, you know. Much better yeah. So the the PHB does mention that like rocks are normally so high that their initial silhouette looks like just a regular bird, ah. and it's only when they they kind of come down upon you, right, and and you realize how high up they were that they're two hundred feet wide. So <laughs> yeah. that's kind of funny. Yeah, so it's just like you know, it's a shadow, and then it's like a cloud, and then it's right. then it's like an eclipse. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, like what's going on? I can't see the sun. Oh, right. oh dear God, what is that thing? Uh, oh wait, no, I'm flying now. That's <laughs> This is so cool. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Awesome. Uh, so anything else about The Rock? Any uh, Anything about the mechanics that you would want to bring out 5th edition do you think is interesting other than the fact that they're really big and really they fly really high? I would like to see him fight John Cena. Um, I think that would be an interesting match between two faces. I would like to see uh, Central Intelligence 2. I thought that was a pretty good movie, actually. Oh, okay. Fair enough. <laughs> awesome. So that is uh, Cryptozoology, and again, we'll throw it out to the audience. If you have used a rock in your game, Dwayne Johnson or the giant bird, either one, let us know how it went, what was good, what was bad, uh, some ways that we could use it that we didn't talk about. Yeah, but no stones. We don't care if you use stone in your game. That's garbage. Correct. So that is almost everything, but we still have a couple things left to do before we go. Uh, We want to thank some Patreon supporters. Uh, If you didn't know, because we've You've always turned it off before we mention it. We do have a Patreon page set up for the RPG Academy where people can donate financially to help support our show. Um, there's different levels and like rewards that you can get. And uh, this fairly recently, which again, this won't come out for months, so sorry it took so long, but Mikey McSee is our newest um, Academaniac who has joined us and donating some money so that we can do bigger and better things. So thank you very much, Mikey. And uh, if anyone else out there would like to become a patron, just go to patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. If giving people money on the internet is not your thing, because I get that, 
You can still help us out in many ways. Uh, you can give us a rating or review on iTunes or Stitcher Radio. So here's the thing about Stitcher. Even if you don't listen to us on Stitcher, you listen to us on Google Play, you can't leave reviews on Google Play. But you can still go to Stitcher and leave us a review there. It doesn't matter that you don't listen to us there. It will still help people find us if they do listen to us there. So if you're someone who doesn't like iTunes, because there's a bunch of you out there, Stitcher is sort of like the catch-all, leave us a review there. Uh, iTunes, we still get most of our traffic there, so getting new, rate, new ratings and reviews on iTunes is always good. And there's a couple other ways that you can help us financially. If you go to Amazon, if you shop for anything on Amazon, if you go to our website first and click on our little Amazon link, you can buy whatever you normally would buy, and we get a small percentage of that. And same thing with DriveThruRPG. Uh, if you buy any PDFs or print-on-demand, if you go there first, we get uh, a small percentage of whatever you buy. Honestly, it's just easier to use Patreon. <laughs> yeah, Shane is one of our Patreon patrons. Um, it, tur- it turns out if you give them money, sometimes they will invite you on your sh- on their show. It, it, it does help when you have an any nominated podcast of your own, but it's not required. Okay, step one, give the RPG Academy money via Patreon. Step two, start an any nominated podcast of your own. Step three, get on the show. Perfect. That, that, that is a ladder to success, my friend. Yes, uh, such success, such such fine financial success, might I add. Yes, <laughs> you know it's it's bought me some cool stuff, cameras that I would not have had. So if you're going to watch me on Twitch later, that's why I could buy cameras for Twitch. So it's actually I I owe you a thank you because the equipment that we use to podcast is your old equipment. Yes, um, that you replaced through Patreon. So in some small way, uh, the Patreon has directly benefited me. And I have regretted that ever since because I get so uh, frustrated. No take backs. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm not going to take it back. But I've come really close to rebuying that piece of equipment uh, for our in real life actual plays because I'm getting so frustrated with some of the audio quality issues because now we're all on one one uh, audio stream. So if someone coughs or burps or just says something, it's there and I can't do anything about it. It it's so much easier to edit time-wise, but it's the, the control is gone, and it drives me crazy. Yep, you guys are so undisciplined on mic. I know. Bastards. So, Shane, <laughs> is there any way people can support your show? No. <laughs> that, that oh, yes. Wait, true, we sir, have T-shirts. I... We have T-shirts. Yes. <laughs> we have T-shirts on TeePublic. They are TP T-shirts. Uh, they have our logo, um, which is a uh, red D20 with a blue party hat. I'm wearing it right now. And then it says the Total Party Thrill Podcast. Uh, they are $20 on TeePublic. There you go. So if you want to listen to their show, which you should be, and if you want to support their show, which maybe you should, us first, but them, them a close second, you can buy some shirts. Agreed. Uh, and, uh, and help them out. So that, that helps Shane because he's coming to a catacon. And even though he's a special guest, I'm still making him pay his own way. Um, so he can Wait, help often. <laughs> we'll talk about that later. So the last thing we're going to do. Yeah, I'll, I'll have my people talk to your people. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, but the last thing we're going to do uh, is read some reviews. Uh, we did have some people write us some iTunes reviews. So uh, I don't have Caleb here to read it in his dulcet tone. So you get Shane's nasally getting over being sick tone. So Shane, will you please read our latest reviews? All right. This is a must listen for all DMs and GMs. Five stars via iTunes from Long Druid. Whether you are new to the hobby or whether you have been a DM since the Red Box, if you are not already listening to the RPG Academy, what are you waiting for? From actual plays to nitty-gritty rules discussion to great guest hosts from around the gaming world, Michael and Caleb cover it all. There is so much to absorb that I find myself revisiting old episodes, especially the faculty meetings, to continuously up my games and make sessions I run more fun for the players and for me. 
keep up the great work, guys. Yeah, what are you waiting for? Obviously, he mentioned uh, guests from our podcast. So he must have known you were going to be the one reading this. I know. It's almost like you plan these things. <laughs> almost. <laughs> almost. <laughs> awesome. Uh, the next one, please, sir. Top three of RPG podcasts. This is this is a little bit of shade, and I like that title. <laughs> but he did give you five stars uh, via iTunes by B. DeCero. The RPG Academy is one of the best podcasts out there for actual plays and DM tips and tricks. I don't get to play much anymore, but listening to all this great content goes a long way in scratching that itch. The Trials of New and Upcoming RPGs is a great resource for finding new material that's not necessarily 5e or Pathfinder. Cannot recommend enough. Doesn't mention the other two podcasts. I'm assuming that he meant Ken and Robin and uh, Roleplaying Public Public Radio. Because they're the only two podcasts that beat us, Michael. You know, if he doesn't mean those, I don't know what it could be. He's a monster. (laughs) Awesome. And then uh, we have one more, correct? Yes. This is If You're Listening, You're Doing It Right. In uh, Five Stars Via iTunes by Elf Remy. Michael and Caleb offer content useful to a wide variety of RPGs. From gaming advice to interviews to actual plays, they offer something for everyone. They're well worth a subscribe button click and, li- and a listen to all the content they've produced. And no matter how you choose to listen to the RPG Academy, if you're listening to them and having fun, you're doing it right. I like when people lean into the brand. Yeah, I mean, you know, again, it's not like we do it enough. We, we need the support of people around us. Yeah, yeah, agreed. It, it, it takes a village to do a podcast. Right. It, uh, it actually really does. <laughs> Surprisingly, it does. So, yeah. Well, thank you very much for doing that. I, I do appreciate it. Again, I try not to read them in my voice because it's just going to be awful. Yeah, people hate Kentucky accents. I, yeah, it's just weird. I don't know why. And yet they keep giving you five-star reviews. I should, I should read it in my Jamaican because... Oh, yeah, no, that's that one's not even a little bit racist. <laughs> there is a reason why we stopped doing it. But, oh really? But, but it, is, is it because it turned 2017? Uh, maybe. Yeah, but again, I, in my in my defense, I went into it with the best intentions of trying to actually do that accent justice. I just failed terribly. Yeah. yeah. And then I kind of leaned into it, and then I'm like, uh, let's just don't do this anymore. Maybe don't. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe no. Don't. It was a noble failure. <laughs> intentions were pure, but we know what, <laughs> you know, we know how that works and the the road to hell and all that kind of good stuff. Indeed. So with that, any last word, Shane, before we wrap up today? Uh, Thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. Uh, Thank you for joining us. Congratulations on the success of your show. Uh, We do have the any nominations for 2017 upcoming. I haven't decided what episodes I'm going to submit yet. Uh, But when the time comes, if we are in that, I hope people will consider voting for us and for you so that we can lose again to Ken and Robin talk about stuff. Cannot wait to do it. (laughs) Fantastic. So uh, this has been Michael. And I'm Shane. And I declare this meeting adjourned. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast, the flagship program of the RPG Academy Network. If you enjoy what we do here, then please check out therpgacademy.com and visit our site partners for additional entertainment and gaming advice. We do this out of love for the hobby and for you, our fans. The podcast and site content will always be free for you to enjoy and utilize. But we do have expenses related to the show. If you'd like to help out in any way, please visit patreon.com slash Academy and check out the rewards we are providing for your monthly pledges. 
we use all funds that come in to improve the show and give you better content and quality. And if you don't have the coin to spend, don't worry. You can still help us out in many ways. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes and or Stitcher Radio. You can leave us a five-star review. Also, if you clear your cookies and you visit Amazon or the DriveThruRPG site through our portal, we get a small percentage of what you pay, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Just like any RPG, our site works best with open lines of communication. We love talking with our listeners about everything. Please contact us with any questions, concerns, and comments that you have. We also love to hear feedback and experiences from your own games. You can email us via podcast at therpgacademy.com and reach us on social media, such as Facebook and Google Plus at the RPG Academy. But Twitter is usually the fastest way to reach us. You can find my favorite co-host, the Caleb G, at the Caleb G. And you can find my favorite co-host, Michael, at the RPG Academy. Thanks for listening. And as always, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. <laughs>